Welcome to Season 3 of the Baby Names Podcast. Here are your hosts, the Moss Sisters. I'm Jennifer Moss. And I'm Mallory Moss. And we're the founders of BabyNames.com. And we're sisters too. So our first segment is always interesting names we found since the last episode. And I've got a couple saved that were names or words, but with one letter changed. So the first one is Tierre, like Pierre with a T. The second one is Tyus, T-A-I-U-S, like Caius with a T. And then the final one, which I can't decide whether I like it or not, is Piana, (laughs) P-I-A-N-A. Don't laugh. Like piano with an A. Now, it might be piano. I don't know. Like Tiana with a P. What do you think of those? I think O with an N. No. No piano? Piana is awful. Why? It's like, I got a piano, you. Okay, and what names do you have, Mal? Well, I like Marika. Oh. And then there's Rochella. So it's different than with the C-H, like Rochelle. Mm -hmm. It's R-O-S-H-E-L-L-A, like shell. I like that. That's a good alternative. Yeah. And then just for fun, I like the names Astro and Dino for boys. We talked a lot about Dean the last couple episodes. So do you think that the Hanna-Barbera cartoons have aged out? Yes. That people won't identify... Dino and Astro with the Flintstones and the Jetsons, respectively? I don't think anyone knows who Dino is or who Astro is. Well, Dean Martin was called Dino also. Right, exactly. And now our topic of the week is gaming naming. And first of all, disclaimer, Mallory and I are not gamers. Speak for yourself. I did some Magic the Gathering back in my day. Did you? Or did you just collect the cards? Both. I was a damn good player, I must say. So today we're concentrating on video games and role-playing games. Both of those genres of gaming have many, many subcategories. But instead of butchering all this, we've invited two special guests to talk about this subject with us. We'll be talking with Lee Perry, best known for his work as lead designer at Epic Games. And then later, we'll speak with Matt Mercer, dungeon master and host of Critical Role. So video games first. What are your favorites, Jen? Uh, (laughs) Well, I remember when Dad bought us the first Pong game for Christmas. That was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. The games that I download on my iPad, though, are more word and puzzle games like word jumble or brain games. I don't think I've ever played any first-person shooter game or any role-playing game in my entire life, which is why we have the guests with us on this episode. But I am fascinated with the naming of game characters and avatars, but I truly have no first-hand knowledge. I don't have much first-hand knowledge in naming characters, but I did play some Dungeons & Dragons in my life. You did? Wow, I'm impressed. A couple of times with my first husband. okay. And I played a role-playing game called Champions Mm -hmm. for a while where you play superheroes. That was fun. Yeah. So anyway, let's get on with our first interview with Lee Perry. 
As we said, Lee was lead designer at Epic through Gears of War 1 to 3. He started Fortnite and several other projects. Uh, I've heard of Fortnite, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Lee was also a technical artist at Squaresoft during the Final Fantasy VII years and was art director and lead level designer at ION Storm Dallas. Welcome, Lee, to the Baby Names Podcast. Woohoo, I'm excited to be here. Now, for our listeners out there who are like me and might not know a lot about computer gaming, so when a player names their own character or avatar, it's called a tag, right? Uh, often, yeah. I mean, some, some games, it's just a name. And in this episode, we're talking mainly about like the action adventure, which you're involved with, and you're both a game developer, and I assume you're also a gamer as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So as a developer, you're creating a virtual world. And what types of things and characters do you have to name in your world? And what is the process for doing so? I think it's probably very similar to what, you know, most authors would end up doing, you know, at least with uh, short stories where, you know, you're trying to come up with like, you know, this guy's a villain. I got to find something that's, you know, slightly off kilter about the name Um, or you want main characters to be, you know, kind of relatable. This game called Lily and playing game. Lily was it was largely based around conversations I had had with my wife on, you know, what she wanted to do with her career career and her father wanted to do one thing and she wanted to do another and so I kind of wrote into the game a whole lot of these interactions that you know we had had in real life it was kind of a funny game but under the current it was the story of you know somebody kind of being forced to do this thing that their parents wanted them to do and so it had this kind of you know realistic you know, undercurrent to it. That was that was really cool. But in that game, uh, we did something. We were trying to make it a kind of a non-violent game, and so we had what amounted to aggressive flower picking. But we had all these these enemies that were kind of these wooden creatures, and you kind of jumped on them and picked flowers off of them. But it was pretty cool because we were able to name. Uh, all these different enemies on real life types of wood and types of trees. Ah, smart. Did a whole bunch of research, just looking up types of wood, and you know, you got stuff people had heard about, you know, aspen and juniper and stuff. But there were all these like really fun ones, like you know, pignut and <laughs> hawthorn and marlow and all these like you know these perfect names just based on just types of woods and wooden plants and you know we had way more than we actually needed at first and was lily named after your wife where did you come up with lily so lily was kind of interesting we went back and forth on what to name the game and then we kind of you know we we knew that it was really about a character and so often games really come down to a game name being a character's name or something that tries to, ex- to explain to the player what they're doing in the game. And this seemed like a really personal story. So we're like, okay, well, we want it to be named after the character. And then when it gets into that realm of thinking, there's a lot of logic that could go into what to name a character that is also the name of the game. And we ended up going with trying to find something that looked good. And so the spelling of L-I-L-I is able to be put together in just a load of really cool kind of logo fashions. Like with different fonts. Yeah. And so we were simultaneously trying to put together the logo as we were naming the character at the same time. L-I-L-I and these kind of big blocky chunky letters kind of crammed together. As soon as we saw it, you know, we were like, oh, that's great. That's that's how it's going to go. And it's a flower name. So yeah. it was kind of the whole game centered around the whole nature and flower thing. Yeah, exactly. 
you've got these like super different genres like you've got gears of war versus say something like elder scrolls which is fantastical you know and is based on like fantasy and yeah definitely and and, i mean obviously the namers or whoever the character creators are taking that into account like fitting into the world but also appealing to the audience right right and similar to how any kind of a book series has kind of a naming kind of vibe to their character convention yeah Mm -hmm. i mean so you talk about like elder scrolls and you know there's a whole bunch of games in that series too one of them's like daggerfall and morrowind and the more recent ones like oblivion and stuff and each of those uh skyrim was the most recent one all of them have a very specific kind of point of view they're they're pulling from so skyrim is really uh very viking and nordic and Mm-hmm. Something like Morrowind was this kind of weird alien elf kind of land. And so all the names in that are <laughs> nearly impossible to say. Welsh. Yeah, I mean, just a... <laughs> I find that a lot of the fantasy names like kind of go back to the Welsh names, too. It does. It really does. You, and you see it in writing and you're like, OK, I got I got no idea how to say <laughs> that. So I'm always happy when a fantasy show has, you know, Jamie or something. And I'm like, cool. I got that. I can say that. Outlander. That is my one of my wife's favorite books. Now, has there been an evolution? Obviously, there has been like video games first came out in like what 80s. So we're talking about the last two decades of the 20th century between now in both the character names and also how people are naming themselves as players. Um, Absolutely. I mean, back in the day, man, say that back when I was a kid, there weren't a lot of games, certainly popular games, where you could name yourself. The ability to just go online and make a character is, you know, a, a pretty second half of gaming's, you know, more recent stuff. But, you know, we definitely went through a period where most of the games had characters that were very kind of machismo, you know, Buck Dugan, you know, kind of like stuff, you know, Fox McCloud. Uh, uh, there's one company called 3D Realms, which are a lot of good friends of mine, but they were kind of known for Duke Nukem and Max Payne, and their characters were like over the top kind of, you know. And even for the even the females in those games would, you know, be Sonya Blade and Tina Armstrong, etc. I mean, they had all these names that were... Hypermasculine. Uh, exactly, hypermasculine. <laughs> it's like going to appeal to 10 to 14 year old boys, etc. And we've definitely seen uh, more kind of evolving from there. And part of that is also that games have kind of turned into a much more uh, cinematic thing in a lot of ways. And so, so one thing you find a lot in game companies, thankfully it seems to be less so, but you do find a lot in game companies this thing where uh, a game will be underway and it's a huge thing, a huge production, just hundreds of people working on it. And sometimes there will be the people who run a company, uh, whether they're, you know, the the president of the company, CEO, you know, etc. And there's a lot of them who really fancy themselves as writers and they're like, Hey, I'm going to write this game. And there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, well, I can't tell the CEO who owns this company. No. So a lot of cheese. Yeah. It's interesting because when I looked up how Lara Croft got her name, she was originally a South American character Mm -hmm. and her name was going to be Laura Cruz, C-R-U-Z. 
And the management of Eidos Interactive said that they wanted a more UK-friendly persona. So they looked in the English telephone directory in Derby, where (laughs) core design developers were based, and they came up with Lara Croft. And then once that happened, apparently her backstory was changed to make her British. It could have been vice versa. But but I thought that was interesting. And like you said, like an executive came in and said, "Eh, we don't like Laura Cruz. Yeah, exactly. Um, Then you've also got this huge impact on games where a lot of gaming has came uh, from Japan and Mm -hmm. from Asia and many ways. I mean, most of us kids, I mean, I grew up on Nintendo. That was, you know, my thing. And so there's a whole lot of very kind of esoteric, interesting Japanese names. There's one particular game designer in uh, Japan called Hideo Kojima. And people are just religious fans of his work. He's mostly known for this game series called Metal Gear Solid. He has basically dialed up the insanity of names. So Metal Gear Solid's main character is called Solid Snake. And, you know, there are all these other characters that are like Psycho Mantis and Revolver (laughs) and Octagon. I mean, he just pulls random words out. You know, there's there's one character called Quiet. So he's got his own style and you can see that kind of his vibe of naming games kind of permeated a lot of Japanese games for a while and you know of course it makes its way over here as well so do you think they reflect the characteristics more of the characters yeah that's like his biggest thing i wonder you know we we've talked about how the hypermasculine names have entered into actual baby naming mm-hmm. here in the US you've got like remington gunner and things that are related to weapons and I wonder if that comes from the kids who grew up with these kinds of mm-hmm. gamer names now are childbearing. Yeah, there, there's got to be. There's a whole lot of gender bias within gaming that we're really, really, really uh, trying to push push through that and push past that. And so one of the greatest things about all these independent games coming out are that there's way more influence now from uh, female designers and females all across the industry. That's awesome. Obviously, in the different platforms, there would be like technical restrictions, right? In what you can choose for your name. Is there anything that's standard or does it depend on the platform? Oh man, there's so many like random little techie things with naming. You get things like when you're designing the the menus and the user interface, you know, for everything that pops up on a character. When you have a, a little text box that tells the character, hey, type your name in here, you have to assume the worst about, you know, what if they type in 30 W's, which is, you know, the <laughs> lightest letter that you're going to have. or Right. Yeah, so we wrestle a lot with that sort of thing in user interface design. And especially when you're dealing with other languages, you get things like, okay, everything that gets translated to German is going to be three times as long across the bottom of the screen. <laughs> How do we deal with that, etc.? So, I mean, there's often technical things like that. Um, and so you have to do things more like, Uh, limiting the length of names. But online, you get a lot of people who have this kind of leet speak naming thing where they, you know, interject numbers or symbols instead of the letters in their name. So most of the time, that's cool. Everybody, you know, is is fine with that because that's what, 
you know, allows 300 people named Lee to find L33 or 7EE or whatever. So my son-in-law, he plays kind of to relax at night. His game is Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my daughter about what his name is. She didn't want me to mention it on air because it's pretty (laughs) silly. And she said that he chose it when he was like eight. And so is that really common that you become tied to your pseudonym of your online persona and you just want to keep it for that long? It is. It is. It is very true. And also when games are really social, you know, if I've got Dragon Dude is my name and I've, all my friends know me by that and then I'll start playing some other game, you, you know, a lot of people keep those same kind of personas across games. So that is definitely one of the, uh, the factors in how people name their online characters. They kind of have this you know, running persona between games. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. You gave us some really good perspective into a whole naming genre that I knew nothing about. Yeah, yeah. So I really appreciate your input on that. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. So what is Adam's gaming name? I'm not allowed to say on air, but I guess I can bleep it out. It's, you ready? He picked it when he was eight. Okay. It's... <laughs> he just keeps it? Yes, he's kept it since he was eight. Because <laughs> everyone knows him by it, like his gaming friends. Anyway, now about a month ago, our nephew Pete texted me freaking out, saying, oh my God, Baby Names was mentioned on Critical Role, and I had no idea what those words meant. So I looked it up, and it turns out that Critical Role is a super popular streaming show where a group of friends played Dungeons and Dragons. The Dungeon Master said he was turning to babynames.com to name some villagers in the game. I thought that was so cool. So I reached out to Matt to help us with this episode. Very cool. I can't wait to hear it. Matt Mercer is a voice actor known for his roles in animation and video games, as well as being the chief creative officer and dungeon master of Critical Role, one of the most popular story-driven digital media brands in the world. What started in 2012 as a role-playing game between friends has evolved into a multi-platform phenomenon with a variety of shows, comic books, graphic novels, animation, live performances, podcast puzzles, and even Funko Pop dolls. So welcome, Matt, to the Baby Names Podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute pleasure and an unexpected uh, fun chance to come and chat about something that's been very useful. Yeah. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with role-playing games, explain how they work and how yours in particular became Critical Role. So role-playing games are... uh, It's a gaming experience, but usually it's around a table or online uh, for a lot of people. But it's just friends getting together with some paper and some dice and some books. And what looks at first to be just a rule set and a lot of math really is just a structure for you to tell stories collaboratively together. Everyone makes characters that they want to engage in the story with uh, as a party of adventurers often. And then one person plays the game master or dungeon master for D&D specifically, where they kind of tell the the macro story of everything that's happening beyond the characters. Every uh, non-player character they meet, every shopkeeper, every villain, every you know person on the street that might have some information they want to talk to. That person kind of plays both uh, referee to the rules and 
is the world reacting to what the players do. But it's a largely improvised collaborative story experience that is very uh, enjoyable and one of the, in my opinion, one of the purest forms of creativity that is accessible to pretty much anybody. Um, so that's kind of role-playing games in a nutshell there. And you use the the dice that you often see are what you use to uh, to roll and codify if you succeed or fail at certain tasks that are very challenging in the game. You know, if you're a very strong character, you get bonuses. So if you roll a low number, you might still be able to knock that door down or hold up that wall before it collapses. Right. You know, that kind of a thing. So that infuses the sense of chance. So you can't just go, well, uh, I beat this monster and I win. Exactly. So you, you, make, you make choices as characters and the dungeon master explains and narrates how the world reacts to those choices. And sometimes if there's a challenge involved, the dice tell you what that random chance factor is. And then the story and a very still improvised factor you know, then plays off of how that success or failure went. So it's 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 a really thrilling, I don't know what's going to happen next type experience at the table. Right. And so, in effect, you're the creator of this world, similar to an author, but or you are an author. And that includes naming a whole variety of things, like from player characters called PCs to non-player characters, places and just everything. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's a unique challenge. Like for for Critical Role, when we you know even before we started streaming it online, you know I've been doing this as a dungeon master for my entire adult life and beforehand, like since high school for me, it's it's been one of my favorite hobbies. But having a being a kid that grew up reading a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy novels and having a love for vocabulary and just learning about the world and history, you learn. There are a lot of words and a lot of names out there, right? And it can, and it's very hard to retain a lot of that. Um, so, in in creating my worlds, it's been a kind of a, a a unique challenge to come up with things that are unique and evocative of the different regions and cultures that I created in this world that my players get to explore, and try desperately not to make them too droll, too common sounding to a uh, a modern world to the point where it kind of pulls you out of a fantasy, you know, imaginary narrative. Yeah. Um, and as I've also learned to be careful to make sure you say the names out loud before you write them down. Because <laughs> there's certain things that look great on paper and you pronounce it and the players are like, oh, really? That's the name? And you're like, God dang it. Well, that's exactly what we tell parents too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, say it out loud, introduce yourself as the baby name and see how it sounds. Oh, yeah. I will forever uh, be, be unable to shake Pervon Sewell. <laughs> uh, like, Pervon? Really? That's his name? I'm like, oh, boy. What did I do? Okay. So take us through it from the beginning. You as Dungeon Master are starting a campaign, which is basically a gamer's story arc. And a campaign can have story arcs within it. How do you start world building? And how much of it needs to be named when you come to the table for game one? Ah, interesting. For me, and there are different ways to come at world building. Some people start on a macro scale and, you know, create the creation myth of their world and their full pantheon and the history of all the cultures before they even play their first session. Uh, that is a way to do it. It is a lot to put on your shoulders in advance of playing a game, which uh, in my personal experience, sometimes you don't play more than one session if players get busy, and that's a lot of effort wasted. Mm. Um I prefer to focus more on the, the minute scale and then kind of build and grow from there. So I will usually start with a particular location, a village, a small city, and build out the e ecosystem there. You know, what what is the 
powerful trade elements there that build its economy? Uh, what are the challenges the people that live there face? What are the surrounding dangers in the landscape that they have to continuously oh, cool. defend and protect themselves from? Yeah. Um, and then from there, it's creating the people that live there. And, and that involves having to name every single, well, not every single person, but uh, the main important non-player characters that I imagine they might encounter uh, as well as the factions and guilds and, you know, those type of elements of the society that also need names. And then having a list of kind of freeform names on a piece of paper, because inevitably the players will be like, is there a stable nearby? And you're like, uh, sure, there's one, two blocks down the way. I'm going to go talk to the stable master. What's his name? And you're like, oh, uh... no. Uh, you know, so and, and to prevent yourself from constantly saying, well, he's Bob. It's like, it's the fourth <laughs> Bob we've talked to today. You're like, oh, man. You know, it's good to have that that list of kind of backup names uh, just to have at your disposal. My friend who's a DM says he keeps little cards with names on them. And yeah. he kind of just shuffles through those. Now, when a player enters a game, they get to choose a race and a class and a name. But there are sort of naming conventions based on the character type. And how would a name differ between like races and classes in Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, I mean, the conventions are there as a suggestion to mm, players. Okay. Um, for those who want to, who either have a hard time, you know, coming up with one on their own and they want to give it, be given a little guidance in that direction, uh, or some people that just want to build a character that feels like they're already very ingrained in the existing cultures of that world. That doesn't always happen. I've had characters with ridiculous names. <laughs> I've had players with characters with ridiculous names. It, it's, it's not uncommon for player characters to enter a session and one person's like, Hello, my name is, you know, Tharamin Gur. What about you? My name's Bob the Buddy Boy. You know, you're like, <laughs> oh boy, this, this is going to be an interesting group of people. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, so what they'll do is the within, for those suggested elements there, they'll create kind of uh, etymology and and kind of, kind of like cultural touchstones within this fantasy world mm -hmm. with suggested titles, suggested names and naming conventions that would exist within that culture and be like, if you want to create a character, these are some examples that you could follow along with if you want to. So um, it's it's very useful for players creating a new character and for me if I'm wanting to actually expand upon that culture in the world and make it feel a little more lived in. Yeah, I've seen books that have name suggestions and online name generators too. So if you're not super creative on the naming front, you can do that. And the game is based in fantasy, so you can get super creative with names, right? Oh, yeah. So other than books and generators and, of course, babynames.com, um, <laughs> where do you go for name inspiration? Um, my, my first step whenever I create a non-player character uh, is to try and come up with something on my own based on the cultures I've created. And I try not to base them too directly on what's in the books because the books are kind of a pre-established IP. Right. And since the world that I'm running in is, is it, it's a unique one that I've created, I try to, to balance leaning too heavily into what's already established. And sometimes that works. Sometimes I end up with Pervon. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a combination of just creating sounds and consonants in my head and, and saying them that sound interesting and evocative of the type of person and PC personality that I've created. And then if that's not, it's not working for me, that's when I'll go to like babynames.com. I'll go to a name generator and find names that sound interesting and mash them together. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I find an interesting name. It's like, you know, like Christian. And then I find anybody here that's, you know, Varen. I'm like, Christian, or like, you know, Varial, you know, like kind of just mash them together until I find something that sounds like 
a title or what a person would call their child in this world. Right. And that's very common for fantasy authors to do as well, Mm. is to take name elements that actually exist and then put them together so it sounds familiar to the reader's ear, but it's still a created name. Exactly. It it helps the players feel like, you know, this, this isn't so unbelievable as an individual you run into. Right. Now, you chose to name your world Exandria, E-X-A-N-D-R-I-A. Where did that come from? Exandria came from, uh, it sounded cool, but on top of that, I wanted to have a little bit of a basis in actual language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for instance, Alexandria has always been a name that I enjoyed. You know, it just, it just sounds interesting. You know, both the, you know, the Library of Alexandria, it just has this very kind of uh, evocative sense and it's just fun to Historical. say. Historical. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it sounds like it has a lot of, of meat and, and weight to it. But there's also, you know, and the root of that name is Defender of Men uh, mm-hmm. is one of the uh, the aspects of it. And so Exandria comes together meaning world of men kind of uh, is what the title of it means. And uh, men meaning just like, in the classic sense of, of living mortals, not in a gendered sense. That's right. just kind of where, right. you know, a world of, of people and focusing on the mortal lives and the mortal stories that exist in a place that had a very grander and more non-mortal history and beginning. Taking the idea and the love of how Alexandria uh, feels and then removing the owl from the top of it and kind of making it my own. <laughs> I'm going to put in babynames.com if that's okay with you and I'll give you credit for it. There you go. Maybe we'll see a baby named Alexandria one of these days. That would <laughs> you know, be really cool. <laughs> weirder things have happened in recent years around Coco. <laughs> uh, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> So are there naming conventions within Exandria that you've created? Like uh, George R. R. Martin was really great at naming conventions. And you had kind of touched on that before, that you want to make sure it fits into your world. Correct, yeah. I try not to steer too far from just common English phrases because I wanted to have that sort of universal common feel for those of us who live in a a very Mm English-centric society. When it comes to more obscure languages, abyssal and infernal, things that, that lead to you know, the darker elements of Exandria's past. I try and focus more on harsher consonants, very much inspiration from like, you know, the black speech of Lord of the Rings, something that when spoken deeply and forcefully already makes you go, oh no, that's that's probably a bad thing. Right. <laughs> and so using a lot of U's and K's and, you know, percussive harsh consonants when it comes to specifically a region called Jorhas in, in our recent campaign in Wildmount, uh, I began to create certain certain naming conventions and words and, and, and root words that don't exist, but I wanted them to be consistent through certain titles and locations so that you began to feel a unification in language, even if the language didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we have uh, Gordranas was once the, the dark citadel, kind of central capital of the betrayer gods in a long historical past. You know, Dranas became this root word for certain locations in other languages and kind of you could see elements of that that speech bleed out into languages over time from people who maybe not understand its original roots. Now there's cities called Nicodranas, which is, you know, that there are different small elements of words and phrases that I try and seed throughout to keep unification in meaning. Yeah. To give the illusion that there is a deeper language there without me having to be J.R.R. Tolkien, who actually, you know, spent most of his life studying and creating languages. I do not have the brain space or creativity to do that. (laughs) So I just kind of fake it. 
<laughs> yeah, but it does keep people within the game and makes them more immersed in the game when you have naming conventions and naming elements that are repeated. Exactly. Um, so I think that is a sign of a good game master or author that you've done that and probably why you're campaigns are so popular oh thank you it's all because of the names that's I mean, what i think <laughs> it's a big part of it like you you say, you, you say that playfully but like honestly uh, being a good dungeon master uh is about finding the quickest shortcuts to building an immersive space because as a hobby we are all adults who have a lot of responsibilities especially this year in this world right so you want to find quick ways to be able to to draw your players in and make make the world they're walking through and their imagination feel lived in uh, without having taken too much of your time. So yeah, little shortcuts like that and using those little techniques to just add that little bit of spice and flavor and consistency doesn't take a lot more energy from you. And the players don't see the man behind the curtain flailing going, right. I, I don't know what I'm doing. They're just like, that's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Now, Ed Sheeran just had a baby girl and named her Lyra Antarctica. And I thought that could totally be a D&D &D name. Doesn't oh, yeah. Sound like it? it does. Do you know if he's a player? I have no idea. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, in fact, you'd be surprised how many more people are starting to be kind of comfortable talking about their nerdy D&D &D side. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, right. Seriously, the, my, my generation and, and it's even people older than me love playing this game for many years of their youth up until now. But as we all know, there's been a very heavy historical stigma behind role-playing games in Dungeons and Dragons. A lot of misunderstanding and misinformation about it being this, you know, satanic gateway to children summoning demons and stuff. And now that a lot of that has fallen away and it's kind of rediscovered uh, a new wave of popularity and and joy in media and culture, people are, are starting to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been playing for like 20 years. People you would never expect. And you're like, oh, oh, OK, cool, you know. Now, what year did it come out? 74? Early 70s. And there's like different editions back then. I think officially it was, it was around 73, 74. I'll have to double check that. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like I would have really gotten into it because I would have been like uh, middle school mm -hmm. age back then. And I was, I created tabletop games myself and I was an author and I did creative writing. I just, I think when you talked about the stigma back then, like in the early 70s and when it first came out, it was a boy thing. Yeah. You know, and I know it's so much more inclusive now. All video gaming and role playing games are more inclusive now mm -hmm. for girls. But I think I really would have gotten into I it. Think you but you too. know what? There's still time. Oh, there, there's right? definitely time. <laughs> and finally, what are your absolute favorite names that you've come across, either that you've created or other people have created within your campaigns? Oh, man. Uh, there, there are a bunch of fun ones. Uh, titles of alliteration are always a blast. To, to that point, we had a, a beloved shopkeeper in our first campaign that we did. His name was Sean Gilmore who was a, a glorious gentleman who was a, an enchanter and a purveyor of magical artifacts and relics of his own creation, for a modest price, of course. <laughs> right. um, but he was known as Gilmore's Glorious Goods, so it was, it was such a, a fun play of alliteration. Uh, recently we had an, another shopkeeper, because, you know, you get to play with titles of trying to sell stuff. It's, it's a challenge. Right. So we got to, uh, to really enjoy and, and dig into that whole process in a, in a recent episode. And uh, the shopkeeper there, let me get the, make sure I get the right title on this, because it's even longer than that one. This one is uh, Thadeen's Endless Emporium of Enchanted Eccentricities. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and and uh, 
the the purveyor of those artifacts is uh, Dimble Thadine. I like and that Dimble. Another interesting example of like. You know, starting with the word thimble, and like, I just like the way that sounds, it invokes an interesting thing, but I don't want thimble specifically. It's like dimble. Dimble sounds fantasy and silly, and this is meant to be kind of a neg centric uh, shop owner. So, dimble, I think, is a, is a fair first name. Thadine, where did Thadine come from? Uh, I don't know. It just kind of sounded nice, and I threw it in there, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> How come Dungeon Master doesn't get a name? Uh, because you, you want to sound impartial and nonspecific. You're not an entity. You are a presence that is universal. Okay. So <laughs> you're just, it reminds me of like the My Fair Lady cover with the uh, marionettes or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you're the guy who just runs everything. Exactly. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us. This has been incredibly fun. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. How can people find and watch Critical Role? Uh, yeah, you can go ahead and uh, find us on on all of our episodes. Once they go up, they go uh, live on Twitch Thursdays, usually at 7 p.m. Pacific. You just go to twitch.tv slash critical role and you can watch them live there. And then uh, they go on to YouTube for free the following Monday. So if you missed it, the main broadcast, uh, you can either subscribe to watch it anytime you want to on our channel or on Monday. They're all available for free on YouTube at your leisure. Yes, and they're a lot of fun, and there's some wonderful names in there. Again, (laughs) thanks for being on the Baby Names Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, talking with Matt Mercer makes me want to learn how to play Dungeons & Dragons. I'm surprised you didn't get into it sooner, since you're such a geek. (laughs) Well, thanks. No, I'm a proud geek. And speaking of fellow geeks, I have to give a big shout out to my friend Christopher Grunland, D&D Dungeon Master himself, who gave me a primer on the game so I could actually talk to Matt and sound semi-knowledgeable. And he also introduced me to Lee, so this episode couldn't have happened without him. Thanks, Christopher. And now it's time for Celebrity Baby News. Today, we will start with the news that Joaquin Phoenix and Rune Mara have announced the arrival of their baby boy. They chose to name him River after Joaquin's late older brother, of course. He passed in 1993. Doesn't that seem a long time ago? Yeah. The couple met on the film set of the Spike Jones movie Her, which I believe is about a lonely man who falls in love with a Siri or Alexa type AI. Yeah. But it was played by... Scarlet. Yeah, Scarlet Joe. Mm-hmm. In other news, Frankie Munoz has announced that he and wife Paige are expecting their first child together. You know Frankie from his starring role in Malcolm in the Middle. Congrats to the young couple. Or maybe not so young anymore. Young to us. Young to us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mindy Kaling surprised us with the birth of her second child, which she brewed mm-hmm. during quarantine. The boy who was born on September 3rd was named Spencer. Aww. No buzz yet on who the proud papa is. Wow, she kept that away from everyone. I guess it's easy for people to hide their pregnancies now because they're not out and about with the paparazzi. Exactly. Catherine McPhee from American Idol has announced her pregnancy with husband music producer David Foster. (laughs) Despite a 34-year age difference, (laughs) the two seem very much in love (laughs) and delighted to share the news. (laughs) 
they met on the set of American Idol where David was her mentor. Now, she married someone else after the show, and after her divorce, romance bloomed between her and David. But this is her first child. Now, David has five daughters from other relationships aged 34 to 50. (laughs) 50! (laughs) Kelly Rowland has announced that she and husband manager Tim Witherspoon are expecting their second child. They already have one son, Titan, age five. Ooh, Titan. That's a power name, huh? I know. I like Titan more than I like Atlas. Yeah. Megan Trainer and actor Daryl Sabara from Spy Kids fame have announced that they are expecting their own little spy baby early next year. No other information has been released. Donald Glover, also known as Childish Gambino, announced the arrival of Donald III. He has two other boys with his wife, Michelle, Legend, who's age four, and Drake, age two. And who's Donald II? Is he Donald II? Yes. He's Donald Glover Jr.? I don't know. And Donald number one passed away. Megan McCain is proud to announce the birth of her first child with hubby Ben Dominic. We talked about this dictionary name on our Facebook Live. They named her Liberty Sage McCain Dominic in honor of freedom and her late father, Senator John McCain. Liberty Sage, what do you think about that? I think Sage is fine as a dictionary name. I have no problem with that. Liberty, I get it because she's a political family. But Liberty Dominic, if you just think of it that way. Liberty Dominic, Liberty Dominic. What about Libby? Libby Dominic. That sounds kind of cute. Yeah, I guess so. You can call her Birdie, too. Tweet, tweet. Um, Amanda Seyfried? Amanda Seyfried? Amanda Seyfried, I think it is. All right. Amanda Seyfried just announced the birth of her second child, which she had kept a secret with hubby Thomas Sadowski. They have a daughter who was born in 2017, Nina. No new info has been released yet about this new bundle of joy, so we will keep you posted as soon as you know more. Nicki Minaj and hubby Kenneth Patty have also not released any details over their new baby, reportedly born on September 30th. They'll be on our radar too, and as soon as we find out, you'll find out. Quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, wish he were my homes, and fiance Brittany Matthews, have announced that she is pregnant with their first child. They dated since they were teenagers and are already the proud parents of two dogs named Steel and Silver. I predict this will be a long-term relationship for many years. He seems like such a nice guy. I wonder if they'll continue that naming convention from their dogs and choose one of those hyper-power names, which we used to call hyper-masculine, but we don't have to gender it. Like Remington or Maverick. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Since this is a double episode, we'll save our listener questions for next time. Our next episode is going to be a good one because I wrote it. Harry Potter names. Oh man, I'm going to have to get a primer on that one too. Or you can actually read the books. In two weeks? I already am behind with the Outlander books, which are about 10,000 pages. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe I'll binge on the movies. I can't wait. 
Yeah, they're really fun. Have a great one, everyone, and remember to get out there and vote. Like your life depends on it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Bye, Mal. Love you, and we love our family, too. And we love our Baby Names listeners, too. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. Bye.